Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media Podcast about everything in print. I'm Stuart in L.A., welcoming you back to Jurassic Park, Site B this time, also known as The Lost World. Yes, Michael Crichton did pin a sequel to the dinosaur blockbuster, although I gotta ask right up front here, is this a continuation of his story on the page? Is this a sequel to cynical 1990 techno-thriller Jurassic Park? Or is this the book sequel to Steven Spielberg's sentimental and more popular 93 movie. I didn't want to spoil the difference between the two last week in my original Books and Nachos Jurassic Park coverage. I felt like uh, I wanted people to discover a lot about the novel when they read it. If you're a go-level donor to Sister Podcast now playing, we spoiled it. You, you heard our thoughts in the movie. We spoiled the differences between movie and book. This week, I have no choice. I'm going to do it because... Mathematician Ian Malcolm and evil park owner John Hammond clearly died in Michael Crichton's novel. And Jeff Goldblum and grandfatherly Richard Attenborough were very much alive when credits were rolling. I mean, there's an even bigger change. I mean, Spielberg did not drop bombs. He gave us cute dinosaurs. They were left stranded on an island that the humans evacuated. It's still standing. They were still there as far as we know. Crichton made it clear at the end of his novel, there were nukes. <laughs> Nobody was getting off Isla Nublar. The, only the compies and raptors that had already gotten off the island and nested in the rainforest had gotten away. Anyone still left there, they done blew up. So this kind of puts Crichton in a difficult position. One not dissimilar from the one Thomas Harris was in when he had to write that Hannibal book after Silence of the Lambs won the Oscar. How do you write a sequel to a book that was less popular than the movie that was made from that book? In all likelihood, anyone picking up Lost World is just spoiling the movie. They remember the characters the way that Spielberg presented them. And Spielberg is not going to adapt a story that contradicted what he did in his version. So... Crichton splits the difference. What he ends up saying is that stories of Ian Malcolm's demise are, are vastly exaggerated. Uh, someone, and it's not clear who, found him, got him off Isla Nublar before the bombs dropped. Hammond's dead, though. Uh, Crichton saw Hammond as the embodiment of everything that was wrong with commercially funded science. There was no way that he was going to redeem that character. There was no way that Hammond was going to live. So even though... Richard Attenborough comes back in the Spielberg movie, not coming back in Lost World, the book. And we're not really going to hear much more about Isla Nublar. All of the action in the sequel novel, and all of the action in the sequel movie, for that matter, is going to take place in a different, top-secret Costa Rican island. And this is the same company, InGen, genetically created the dinosaurs here. We're told that this is where they had a hatchery. They hatched the dinosaurs here, then they moved them to Isla Nublar. So did that first island blow up or not? Eh, it's kind of left to your imagination. You can take the book version or the Spielberg version. And I want to point out that Crichton's Lost World got published in September 1995. That is the exact same month that Spielberg started shooting the sequel movie. 
So obviously the filmmaker didn't stay and, and wait to see what the finished product was going to be before he moved forward, which is probably why there are so many differences, really, between the movie sequel and the book sequel of Lost World, much more so than the differences in the Jurassic Park versions. I kind of think of this Crichton version as sort of being a first draft for what Spielberg and his screenwriters would cherry pick for ideas and then largely toss aside. They're like, oh, this is interesting, but none of this. And, eh. you know, I'm going to stay away from reviewing Lost World. That is why we're covering it over at Now Playing's Gold Level Donation. You want to hear my thoughts? It's over there. That show is out now. This book, I didn't really know what I was in for because, all right, back in summer 93, I was on the hype train. I read Crichton's Jurassic Park three months before I went and saw the Spielberg Jurassic Park. I ignored everything about Lost World. I didn't read this book ever until a few weeks ago for this review. I have never seen the film until we were covering it as part of the retrospective. I quite honestly just didn't really care to go back to this park. As much as I enjoyed the initial visit, I, I remember liking the book and mixed feelings about the movie. Ba basically disappointed that the movie didn't take the tone of Crichton's, but now feeling like they're on the same page. I just didn't see a real reason to go back in the 90s, though. I, I was done. And I don't think I was alone in this. I think Crichton was done. I don't think Michael Crichton would have written this Lost World book if Spielberg hadn't asked him to do it. Crichton doesn't write sequels. I mean, he directed Westworld. He wrote that screenplay. When it came time to do the sequel, no involvement whatsoever. I think of him as being inspired by novelty, honestly. I think one of the compliments I gave Crichton last week was that he deeply enmeshes in something in our culture that is exactly of the moment. Scientific ethics of dinosaurs, been there, done that. You know, that was eight years ago for Crichton when he was developing the first Jurassic Park novel. It's now 1994, 95 that he's writing this. He's on to other things. He's developing ER for television. He's writing the screenplay for Twister. You know, he had written novels about Japanese business practices, Rising Sun. He had gotten into the debate about sexual harassment in the workplace. He flipped the genders for disclosure. He was on to new topics. He had said what he had to say. And I'll say it again. I don't think this guy is a dinosaur fan. I think it could have been anything, really. Uh, genetically recreated anything attacking scientists. What fired him up was that corporate money had fueled reckless research. That's what he wanted to talk about. He knew people loved dinosaurs, so that's what they were. I dug around the internet. To, you know, this is unsubstantiated. This is me and my impressions that the book gives me. I wanted to see if Crichton ever did discuss dinosaurs and his love for it. And I stumbled upon this quote. I'm going to just read it for you. Why are people so interested in dinosaurs? Why are we so fascinated by these giant vanished creatures from the past? There are many reasons, but the one I believe most compelling is that the dinosaurs confront us directly and unavoidably with the reality of extinction. Uh, no, dude. Uh, no, just no, okay? Jurassic Park did not sell all those movie tickets, all those toys and video games, because people wanted to take their kids to something that confronted mankind's eradication on planet Earth. No, that is that is not the primary appeal. Now, it's important, uh, uh, yes. We need to find out why the dinosaurs died, so maybe we can ensure that it doesn't happen to us. But folks dig dinosaurs because they're real-life monsters, with horns and fangs, and they get into these awesome battles, and and you could just play with those toys. 
that is the primal childlike appeal of dinosaurs. And I just feel like if Crichton never had that, he's forgotten it. So this is the first of many problems I have with his lost world. Crichton thinks the most interesting thing about dinosaurs is that they died. And he is tailoring the whole sequel around that premise. That's how the book's going to start. We're going to have 40-year-old Ian Malcolm alive and standing in front of a university audience, leaning on a cane because he's still healing from injuries from that attack six years ago on Isla Nublar. He's there to basically use dinosaurs to illustrate his chaos theory and to speculate why they might have disappeared so rapidly 65 million years ago. And after this lecture, Ian is going to chat up this Yale zoologist named Richard Levine, who is the one who's eventually going to get him back to another Costa Rican dinosaur island. It's called Isla Sorna. It's, as I mentioned, the breeding ground for Injun. That's where they hatched the dinosaurs before moving them to the cages of Isla Nublar. Well, wouldn't you know it, those dinosaurs have found a way to live without the scientists, who supposedly bred them to only be sustained on a certain kind of food. And they've managed to somehow survive. So here's my second big flaw with Lost World. Malcolm thinks that if he observes these dinosaurs, he can figure out why they died out 65 million years ago. And that is crazy. Look, I am no scientist. I'll tell you how bad I am. I actually entered a science fair once with an experiment on how plants are changed by different colored lights, except I didn't want to buy four different plants. So I just like taped different colored cellophane on individual leaves and pass it off saying like, oh, the different leaves should look different because the light is, I mean, all right. My point is, is clearly I'm no scientist. My methods are dicey, but even I know that Isla Sorna has no practical resemblance to the Jurassic world that had the dinosaurs originally. I mean, it's not going to have a meteor fall on it. It's not going to have any different environmental changes that might have happened so long ago. Hell, these aren't even really dinosaurs. Remember that? These are artistic approximations. They used reptile DNA mixed with other DNA with dino DNA. So they could never tell us exactly what happened to real dinosaurs. The only thing that going to another island full of dinosaur clones teaches us is that Crichton has no new ideas for making this concept exciting. I'll go ahead and say it. I think this lost world is a real mess. It is a clumsy retread of the Spielberg movie told by a man who did not write the Spielberg movie. Crichton is in a paycheck mode and there is a pervasive give them what they expect mentality that it just touches everything that occurs in this story. Normally, when I'm doing a books and nachos, I'd want to take some time to walk the reader through all the major characters, all the major plot points, give them a sense of the scope. I see no value in doing that for you with Lost World. If you want to know what happens in Lost World, go watch the Spielberg Jurassic Park. Because Crichton is just trying to replicate that. He's just trying to clone it with a few other extinction DNA strands that he finds interesting. He's checking off boxes. I mean, of course, you got to bring back raptors and T-Rex. 
but they're going to be attacking the same kind of bland characters in the same region of the world. I mean, at least Spielberg recognized that you got to put the climax in a new location. You got to do something different. It can't just be Costa Rica again. And yeah, Ian Malcolm coming back, that's a good idea. If you have to bring him back from the dead, I support that. But don't give him the same story arc. I mean, he gets injured again. He gets sidelined again. I'm like, is he going to kill him again? Well, he's not that stupid. He he knows that if he has to write a third one, he doesn't want to bring him back from the dead again. But yeah, it's basically him doing exactly the same thing that he did in Jurassic Park, except instead of saying chaos theory, he's talking about evolution and extinction. You still got the corporate espionage angle. If you remember, Engine was hijacked by the the whole reason. Well, one of the many reasons I should say that the park kind of went crazy was that Nedry tried to poach embryos. Well, now there's a team of commandos that are coming to Isla Sorna to kind of grab living dino eggs. Engines no longer around to fight them. They, they have gone bankrupt. But the the point is, is that we have a company that that is going to cause chaos by pillaging engines work. Even the structure of the novel, it's the same. I mean, there were seven chapters and they were named after seven iterations of chaos theory. And that was cool because as you felt the tension mounting, you were like, yes, things are going into more and more chaos. Well, here we have seven configurations instead of seven iterations. Uh, It's supposedly evolution leading to a so-called chaotic edge. I didn't even understand it. It doesn't even mean anything because, you know what, this story doesn't build. It doesn't feel like it's growing more and more chaotic. And hey, Crichton knows that the movie audiences love children. You know, he knows that's going to be a big part of the ticket-buying audience, and he knows his work is going to be made into a movie, so he's going to give us two school kids, even though they have no place in this story. Look, Crichton wrote Children into Jurassic Park, the novel, because it made that grandfather, John Hammond, look even more repugnant. You know, he was exploiting his own flesh and blood, putting them in harm's way, just to prove to the inspectors that his park was safe, when it wasn't. You will laugh at the links that Crichton goes to to justify two inner-city students stowing away to Isla Sorna. I mean, I'll make a half-effort here to explain it. That As I've stated, Ian has this friend, Richard Levine, and we find out he's kind of a reckless guy that's gotten in trouble with the courts, and they've sentenced him to community service, which is teaching grade school kids science, and he was supposed to be taking them on a field trip, but instead decided to go to Isla Sorna and get in trouble, and now he needs to be rescued, and the kids hear his last recording and decide instead of going on the field trip and everyone thinks that they'll be gone on the field trip, their parents won't notice, they can stow away with Ian on the rescue mission to get him. I mean, ugh. What Crichton doesn't understand is that the reasons most people want a sequel is because it reunites them with characters they love. My final problem, or at least the last one I want to bring up here about Lost World, is that all of this is being told to us by someone who has no deep feeling for characters, any of them. And I always felt that way about Crichton's writing. I mean, he does like Ian Malcolm, but he's only interested in Malcolm and what he has to say about chaos theory and extinction theories. He is unmoved by his plight, you know, that he's been damaged and trying to walk again. That's not played into here. His personal life barely gets a mention. I mean, we know there's this ex-girlfriend. We meet her at the start of the novel. Unlike the Spielberg movie, she doesn't really 
participate or kick the plot off. She goes off to Africa to study lions. And then when she finds out that Ian needs her in Costa Rica, she takes a long boat to get there, which happens to be occupied by that evil company that's there to poach the dino eggs. Her character arc is literally to get thrown off that boat, swim to shore, and find Malcolm. That's it. That's as much of Malcolm's personal life as Crichton is wanting to go into. I mean, at least Spielberg tried. You know, he gave him a storyline about daughters and family, and he tied that in to the dinosaur families. But there's no feeling for that in Crichton's prose. Now, if you want any more fine details on the half dozen other characters that come zipping in and out of this book, go ahead and read it. I I recommend it to you if you are curious about that. I dare you to read it. I promise you it's not engaging. And if Crichton were alive today, I bet he'd agree with me. Crichton wrote this at Spielberg's insistence, and he wrote it to make a lot of money. And while that doesn't automatically damn a sequel as hack work automatically, it's not the first time someone has done something for commerce reasons and ended up making something great, the fact that Spielberg didn't use much of this 416 pages is pretty telling. Crichton himself can't even bring his own interests to a conclusion. I mean, keep in mind what was holding him to a sequel. The, the idea he was teasing was that he would get answers about extinction. And, okay, in the last three pages of this story, the scientists realized that the dinosaurs were raised on goat's milk, which apparently makes them susceptible to disease, and that's going to wipe all of these dinosaurs out on Isla Sorna. Let me read you a few choice lines here. This is Sarah talking to her ex, Malcolm. But the point is that I doubt this island will be able to tell you very much about extinction. Malcolm stared back at the dark cliffs for a moment and then began to speak. Maybe that's the way it should be, because extinction has always been a great mystery. Maybe every few eons, some animal comes along that kills off the rest of the world, clears the decks, and lets evolution proceed to its next phase. To which then there are these two supporting characters, Kelly and Thorne, that give each other looks, and and they actually finish out the books with this dialogue. Are you listening to that? Thorne said. I wouldn't take any of it too seriously. It's just theories. Human beings can't help making them. But the fact that it's just theories, just fantasies, you smell the salt in the air, you feel the sunlight on your skin, that's all real. Life is wonderful. It's a gift to be alive, to see the sun and breathe the air. And there really isn't anything else. Now look at that compass and tell me where south is. It's time for us all to go home. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. It is time to go home. If he's telling us that all of his theories are, are worthless, are nonsense fantasies, take him at his word. We shouldn't listen. We shouldn't bother with this very disappointing sequel. And with that, I'm going to leave this Jurassic Park from the page behind. Of course, there are more movies... So if you want to hear my thoughts on Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, if you are able to donate to NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can go to the website NowPlayingPodcast.com, click that banner. It'll give you all the details on how to be gold level donor and get all of those shows. You can hear my thoughts on all of those movies, but there are no more books. We are going to be dino free for the foreseeable future. Which means it's a good time to get back to Stephen King. And Arnie promises that he's going to knock a few more novels out this summer. We've already covered the Dead Zone and Firestarter movies as podcasts over it now playing. Arnie is going to soon have books and nachos that give you detailed thoughts on those source novels in the coming weeks ahead. 
I also might be making a return to Books and Nachos before the summer's over. I'm going to keep those details under wraps, but there might be something that we're doing over at Now Playing that might need for me to read a book and talk to you about it. You'll just have to wait and, and find out. Keep listening. I'm Stuart in L.A., and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.